Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. The Academy Awards are a very sacred time, right? I mean, it's the time when we honor great achievements in cinema by talking about the clothes people are wearing and by talking about the ratings a TV special gets. Well, (laughs) I'm not going to say it was the worst Academy Awards. I'm not going to say it was the darkest moment ever. I will say, as a movie fan, I've had plenty of times when I've gone to bed angry after the Oscars. I've seldom gone to bed this depressed. And we really want to know what you guys thought about what happened last night. And, And even more interestingly... What do you think of the reactions that happened last night? LAPD investigative entities are aware of an incident between two individuals during the Academy Awards program. That is the L.A. Police Department's statement that they put out today. They continue, the incident involved one individual slapping another. The individual involved has declined to file a police report. If the involved party desires a police report at a later date... LAPD will be available to complete an investigative report. Sounds pretty simple and mundane. But I'm hoping this is going to be a teachable moment for everyone. This should have been the Oscars where we're talking about, you know, the first male deaf actor to win an Oscar. Troy Coetzer for Best Supporting Actor for CODA. This should have been the year we talked about the first openly queer person of color to win an acting Oscar. I think he's the first openly queer person to win an acting Oscar. That would be Ariana DeBose winning Best Supporting Actress for playing Anita in West Side Story. And by the way, she changed history. We've talked about this before, that the only there were only two characters in cinema history where two different actors both won Oscars for playing the same character. Now there are three. Try this trivia one out on your friends or coworkers. What are the three characters in history, in movie history, That two different actors won Academy Awards for playing. It's not Hamlet. It's uh, Vito Corleone, played by Marlon Brando, and Robert De Niro. They both won Oscars. It's the Joker, played by Heath Ledger and Joaquin Phoenix. And it's Anita from West Side Story, played by friend of the show Rita Moreno and uh, Ariana DeBose. We should have been talking about that. We, we, We should have been talking about how, for the first time ever, a streaming service bought the Oscar for Best Picture. I mean, Code is a fine movie. It's lovely. 
But have you ever seen a, a, a marketing campaign like what Apple did to try to win Best Picture? I mean, you would have thought Netflix would have done it with The Irishman. And Netflix spent a lot of money promoting the power of the dog, which did win Best Actress, a uh, Best Director, rather. We, we should have been talking about how we just had two women directors win the Oscar for Best Director two years in a row. There are so many things we could have been geeking out on about these awards. So it doesn't, you know, we, we should be talking about how it was a really consequential night for the disabled community, for the LGBT community, for streaming technology. <laughs> we should have been talking about the fact that they bizarrely decided to take the In Memoriam segment and the big choreographed dance number and combine them into the weirdest death ritual I've ever seen. Have you ever seen such an upbeat number for dead folks? I, I Instead, we're talking about how Will Smith slapped Chris Rock and then won an Oscar, which, you know, completely shocking. And, and I say this as a comedian. I've had lots of people come on stage and slap me during my sets. It's very rare they won an award a few moments after. Chris made a joke about Jada Pickett Smith's hair or lack of hair. Not a great joke. And I'm... Don't know what you thought of the G.I. Jane joke, but I, 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 I'm guessing I would bet cash money that that was not an official writer's room approved joke. That Chris, who's hosted before, shows up. He can say whatever he wants to say. He went out there. He might have winged it. I'm, I'm pretty certain if he had tried that joke out on a writer's room for an award show, somebody would have said, you know, she has a medical condition. And, and let's be honest. The very fact that Chris Rock made a joke about Jada Pinkett Smith who has lost her hair due to alopecia, looking like she could be in G.I. Jane 2. Will Smith laughed at the joke, then saw his wife was angry, then got angry himself, came on stage and hit Chris Rock. We can at least celebrate the fact that this horrible incident probably guarantees, friends, they'll never make a G.I. Jane 2. We can come together and celebrate this. A few minutes after Will Smith slapped Chris Rock, uh, Congresswoman Ayanna Presley was praising the slap on Twitter. And I love Ayanna Presley. She tweeted, hashtag alopecia nation stand up. Thank you, Will Smith. Shout out to all the husbands who defend their wives living with alopecia in the face of daily ignorance and insults. <sighs> and I'm going to tell you, it is always great to see a man stand up for his wife. Because I'm telling you, Will Smith, I once saw Donald Trump rip on Ted Cruz's wife's looks and Ted Cruz slapped himself. For about five years, he's still doing it. But recently, Jada Pinkett Smith has revealed that she's had alopecia. And she first talked about it, I think, like three or four years ago. And she's been struggling with it for a few years. And Ayanna Presley has talked about her diagnosis in 2020. So much love for women who are living with this. And you know what? I, I, again, Chris Rocks, who I love, the, the, the joke sucked. And Chris Rock made a great movie about black women's hair. If you haven't seen Good Hair, I highly recommend it. Even a nerdy white guy like me, it's, it's a beautiful film. And it's about a billion-dollar industry. But I'm sorry, guys. You know your award show has gone off the rails. I, I knew it was going to be bad. Not when Will smacked him and not when Chris Rock really awkwardly and heroically made his way through giving the best documentary feature. You know it's bad? When the person they send on stage to try and calm things down and be the adult who brings dignity back to the room is P. Diddy. That's, that's, I don't know what you thought. 
If you listen to Sirius XM, you know Howard Stern was appalled by it all. I was appalled by it, too, as someone who was against mean jokes about women's looks, as someone who's against physical violence. It just wasn't a great night for anybody. And Will Smith's speech is something that, you know, I haven't cried that hard since I had to sit through Will Smith's movie, Collateral Beauty. And I, by the way, I wanted to hit people after I watched Collateral Beauty. I had to watch it for work. But um, Chris, (laughs) Will Smith spoke for so long that Anthony Hopkins got a good joke out of it. (sighs) For many people, it was a very self-serving speech, a very long speech where a man who had just inflicted violence on somebody else over a joke got to play both hero and victim. Again, you know, this became the most discussed news topic in the world. Zelensky making a video begging people around the world to come out and openly protest the Russian invasion of Afghanistan. I'm sorry, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, which is killing so many people, got about a million views. Tape of this got 17 million views. And they were doing a lot to try to revamp the show. Last year, during the pandemic, was the lowest ratings in Academy Awards history. Well, ratings jumped 56% from last year's record low. It was 15 million people watched, up from 10 million people. So it's still the second smallest Oscars audience in history. Before the pandemic, no audience for this award show had ever fallen below 20 million. They're acting like, oh, the slap is the only reason people cared. Everyone cared because of the slap. It was still the second lowest ratings in history. And it was ugly. And I couldn't wait for the morning to go on Black Twitter because I'm not going to say anything until I see what Black Twitter's thinking. And, you know, it's amazing to watch a situation like this, and it's why I want to know all your thoughts. Either call us at SiriusXM, write us at JohnFuglesang.com, write us at Tell Me Everything, a Facebook page on, on, on the Facebooks. I'm a fan of the debate, and that's becoming my mantra here. I'm a fan of living in a society where we have these debates. And what was fascinating about this was there was no clear ideological line in where people stood. Black folks, Caucasian people, conservative people, liberal people, smart people, dumb people. Everyone chose their side or chose no side. But it was really refreshing seeing something that defied politics and was about people and seeing how, I mean, a lot of right-wing guys tried to make white men the victims out of this. And there's a lot of great points. If Amy Schumer had made the joke, would Will Smith have hit her? Howard Stern brought up. If Jason Momoa had made the joke, someone who wasn't 50 pounds lighter than Will Smith, would Will Smith have hit him? I think Will Smith gets it. I think he knows this persona he spent decades cultivating might be done. He apologized on Instagram, said violence in all of its forms is poisonous and destructive. Jokes at my expense are part of the job, but a joke about Jada's medical condition was too much for me to bear, and I reacted emotionally. He didn't get upset at the top of the show when Regina made a joke about their open marriage. That didn't upset him. But to Will Smith's credit, he said, I would like to publicly apologize to you, Chris. I was out of line and I am wrong. I am embarrassed that my actions were not indicative of the man I want to be. There is no place for violence in a world of love and kindness. And it's a great statement. But we all know the copycatting is going to happen. We all know that kids are going to see it. And I was really impressed by how many people talked about the speech and, and, and him saying that he did it because of love. 
and that's a phrase a lot of domestic violence survivors have had to hear, that violence was committed because of love. <sighs> Look, it's not the most awful thing we've ever seen at the Oscars. I, I'm still freaked out from the night the pianist won and watching Halle Berry get grabbed into a kiss she was not ready for. I'm still freaked out by Harvey Weinstein being one of the most awarded producers. I wasn't alive in 1940 when Hattie McDaniel became the first black Oscar winner for her role in Gone with the Wind. But she had to sit at a segregated table the night she won. She had to enter through the back door. It didn't change her life. She went on and just played maids for most of the rest of her career, paid the bills for her. But I think this is the sort of thing that we can come together on it by saying, what do we learn? Is it a teachable moment? And I think it is. My child's too young to watch it. But I think um, anyone who wants to talk about men using violence to solve their problems can look at Will Smith. They can look at Vladimir Putin. They can look at Donald Trump, who, like Vladimir Putin, has other people using violence to solve his problems. All I know is this. It might seem obvious to you and me that Will Smith smacked Chris Rock at the Oscars, but I think Merrick Garland's going to need at least 15 months to review the evidence. He's not sure yet. And also, I would bet you cash money that right now as we speak, the agents of Will Smith and Chris Rock are sitting somewhere huddling and negotiating the most lucrative buddy film in history. I will bet you money that in the summer of 2023, there will be a Will Smith, Chris Rock, cop buddy picture. And they will all cash in. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. I'm always excited anytime I get a chance to talk to Dave Zirin. He is a sports journalist for people who think they don't care about sports. He is the nation's sports editor, and he's the author of 10 books on the politics of sports. Most recently, the wonderful book, The Kaepernick Effect, Taking a Knee, Changing the World. We talked about that with Dave on the show not too long ago. He was named one of Utney Reader's 50 Visionaries Who Are Changing Our World, and he also hosts the nation's Edge of Sports podcast, uh, it is a great pleasure to welcome Mr. Zyron back. How are you, Dave? I'm doing well. It's great to be here. There, there's some important things on the table for us to discuss, so I'm really glad you're having me on. I'm thrilled about it because Brittany Griner is a name that should be a household name and is not. And the reasons for her not being a household name are fascinating to me. But right now she sits in a Russian jail. She's waiting for her trial in a couple of months that could send her away 
for a very long time because she was traveling and had a vape pen cartridge in her bag. She's one of the most respected basketball players on earth, and she's six foot nine, she's black, and she's gay, which means the politics are turned up to 11 on this. Can you set the stage for us um, as to how Brittany Griner got into the predicament she's in right now? Yes, and uh, but first and foremost, I just want to give uh, an appreciate, appreciative shout out to Ben Proudfoot, who's the who won an Oscar last night for the film The Queen of Basketball. Yes, which is the thank story you. Story of uh, Luzia uh, Harris. If you don't know who Luzia Harris is, that's exactly why you should watch The Queen of Basketball. Uh, she led a rural Mississippi college to three national titles. Uh, she uh, scored the first basket in women's Olympic history. Um, and she was the only woman to ever be drafted by the NBA. Wow. Um, just an amazing, amazing story. And Ben Proudfoot, after he won uh, the Oscar, he said, Joe Biden, let's get Brittany Griner home. Yes, that's right. And I wonder how many people heard her name for the very first time. Um, it, it was something. And I mean, I just... I was incredibly moved by, by him taking that moment to try to say something about Brittany Griner because there's been such a media silence about what's taking place. I mean, John, this should be the biggest story in the United States. It certainly should be the biggest story in sports media. I mean, just imagine for a split second if Tom Brady was in a Russian prison now of all times with where, th where there are barely diplomatic relationships between the United States and Russia at this point. That's right. And Tom Brady is in a prison for alleged, and I don't think anybody should take these uh, charges at face value, frankly, but you know, we do believe in innocent until proven guilty regardless. So these alleged charges that Brittany Griner had vape cartridges in her bag while trying to leave Russia in mid February at the Moscow airport. Next thing you know, at the, and remember, mid-February, that's right when things were happening at the exactly. very beginning. Exactly. But now imagine if Tom Brady wasn't male, yeah. wasn't white, and wasn't straight. And, that's, and, and, and Brittany Griner also you know, has his tattoos and has a beautiful wife and, and, and it, you know, dresses in very gender non-conforming ways. I mean, one of the things that I've been saying is that one of the reasons why the sports media hasn't been talking about Brittany Griner, well, there are a lot of reasons, but one is that they don't have a language to talk about Brittany Griner. You know, they're so um, completely enamored with uh, football, and when they're not talking about football, they'll talk about football offseason. And oh, yeah. by the way, didn't you mention football? Unless LeBron James does something, then maybe we'll talk about another sport. But women's sports is constantly disrespected. And at the bottom uh, of that particular totem pole uh, is the WNBA. I mean, it's Thank a punchline yeah. for so much of the overly male, uh, you know, testosteroneed out sports media. So they don't talk about the WNBA anyway. And now you have one of the most famous, recognizable basketball stars on earth in a Russian prison. Mm -hmm. You know, only the thing that's on the front page of the paper every single day, you know, it, and it's so it's 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 maddening to me. And and I'll but there's just, the politics well, of it, Dave. There's there's the politics of it, because as you point out in your most recent piece today for the nation, imagine if it was a white male heterosexual athlete, a famous athlete that was in a Russian prison. 
what would the GOP be doing? I mean, how much would they be demanding Tom Brady's safety? How much would they be attacking the Biden administration for failing to bring Tom Brady home? How much would they want to keep Tom Brady's name in the headlines, as you put it, to increase pressure on Putin to not treat her like some kind of bargaining chip? But the GOP, as you write, has kept quiet. And anyone who thinks they're doing so in accordance with the wishes of Griner's wife for privacy is huffing glue. Yes. Um, see, there are two sides to the silence question, because why aren't people talking more about Brittany Griner? Why was it so bracing to hear Ben Proudfoot say her name from the Oscar stage? Uh, it, there, there are two. It's almost like there are two wings that you have to understand. There's the wing we already talked about, uh, the fact that sports media and the GOP have no language to speak about even who Brittany Griner is, let alone what she's going through, and are so awash in sexism and homophobia that they, they can't even imagine, and racism, they can't even imagine themselves uh, standing up and actually yeah. standing for Brittany Griner, because I don't think they view Brittany Griner as, a, as an American, for goodness sakes. You know, it's people who are out of their purview as to who actually constitutes citizenship in this country. You know, Jackie Robinson was talking about this 70 years ago, saying that the fight, he didn't say the fight was for equality. He said the fight is for citizenship. That's what yes. Jackie Robinson said. This, And he wasn't talking about, you know, living on, on the Mexican-U.S. border and ICE. You know, unfortunately for young people, I think their only knowledge of citizenship is the concept of the, the undocumented worker and who is a citizen and who isn't. But it You're used right. to mean something different, to be a citizen. And it was an aspiration to be a citizen. And it was an aspiration of the civil rights movement to be a citizen. And I think there is a completely confederated out wing yes. of the Republican yeah. Party that still holds on to that dead end belief that certain people are just not citizens of what is fundamentally a white Christian nation. So there's no language to even talk about Brittany Griner, because if you're not in that particular rabbit hole on the GOP side of things, you're probably uh, nervous that that particular rabbit hole isn't going to come up and vote for you. So you're going to, you know, be a uh, servile. Uh, to those ideas, so no land. So that's one wing. No, no language to even talk about Brittany Griner. None. No concept of solidarity whatsoever. Uh, but on the other side, there is something that I think is really wrongheaded coming out of the State Department, which is advising people, people close to Griner, people close in the WNBA, because these entities, and then the NBA, of course. Uh, these entities, if they wanted to, could make an absolutely unholy stink about what's happening. I mean, by yeah. their own volition, they could keep Brittany Griner's name in the news if this, and make up for the fact that the sports media is so awash in the decrepitude that we already discussed. But they're not doing it because the State Department really thinks that silence is the way and negotiation is how Brittany Griner is going to get home. Keep in mind, Brittany Griner is now facing trial May 18th. They push the trial back. She's facing 10 years in a Russian prison, five years of which could be in a labor camp. Labor camp. That's because what we're she talking had vape about. cartridges on an airplane. I mean, yes. just just incredible. And she was arrested right at the start of this illegal invasion in the Moscow airport, right? Yes. All of this happening at the same time. And what what I've been arguing is that this strategy of silence is actually really wrongheaded and a little bit dangerous. I mean, these are tactical questions, John. Like when it like if you're trying to free a political prisoner. When are you silent? When do you build a movement? 
You know, when do you act one way? When do you act another? You know, it's all about tactics to get the person home. Yeah. And the tactic of silence made a lot of sense early on when we still weren't sure how horrible this invasion of Ukraine was going to be and how quick it was going to be. I get that. But at this point, the way things are going, we have to actually see Brittany Griner as a political prisoner and yeah. start raising an international Agreed. uproar for her to come home. And her as an American, as an American citizen who is a political prisoner and hostage overseas. You know, I, I can understand why the GOP isn't doing it. And it's depressing because you think, wow, it's something they can beat up Joe Biden with. But they're so indifferent. They're not even using this to beat up Joe Biden. That's how little regard they have for this six foot nine queer black woman who's a sports superstar in a league they don't understand. I get that. It's depressing, but I get it. But Dave, a lot of people are probably wondering, well, where, where where's the WNBA in all this? Why aren't we hearing more hell being raised by professional basketball? Is it because they've been told by the State Department yeah. or by Brittany's wife to just please, please try and not talk about it too much, lest she become too much of a cause celeb and then suddenly Putin has a valuable bargaining chip? Well, yeah, and that's the logic that's coming out of the State Department through the attorneys to Griner's family who have asked for that level of silence. But, you know, I've been interviewing people who do this for a living, uh, attorneys, negotiators, and what they're saying to me is that, no, this is the time to hold Brittany Griner's name to the light and try to, uh, at least a tactic, to apply pressure to Putin in that way. Because people who don't want Brittany Griner to become a bargaining chip for Vladimir Putin... Well, let, guess what? She already is. You yeah. know, this is already all out there on the table. And I mean, I, I certainly don't mean to be glib because I know it could always get worse when you're in a Russian prison. But if they're saying their strategy is working and she's facing 10 years behind bars and five years in a labor camp, then I think we need to rethink the strategy here. And I, there, there is a record of being able to free people who have been jailed, Americans who've been jailed in autocratic countries through raising their name, through organizations yes. like Amnesty International. Yes. For goodness sake. I mean, there, there's a tradition of this. Um, there's a tradition of this in our own country as well, um, with people deemed political prisoners in U.S. jails. So, so this, this is not new. And, but, and what's also not new is a, a kind of conservative approach to it that says if you make too much noise, if you're too loud, it's only going to make things harder. It's like, you know what, I, I am willing to say maybe that was true at the beginning, but I feel like we're, we're past that right now. Yeah, and I think, Dave, a smart politician would take up her cause, and a smart conservative politician would yes. take up her cause, because people are going to care long-term Long term, once she's back home, this could potentially be very, very good for women's sports, could be very, very good for the WNBA. And I think that she has to become a household name. The very fact that so many people don't know her name yet. <laughs> and I know it's very in vogue to not know the names of African-Americans who are being abused by authorities. But this is at least an example for our own racists to go against it. But it, And it's a whole other room we don't have to walk into. But this walks up into the fact of all the conservative media figures in our country who don't like criticizing Vladimir Putin. So who's going to yeah. choose a six foot nine queer black WNBA star over Vladimir Putin? Yeah. It, it's just a lack of humanity and a lack of what patriotism really is. 
Yeah, I mean, to to me, patriotism, a prerequisite of it is having an expansive view of who constitutes an American. I mean, I was listening to uh, Kaylee from the Trump administration. Yeah. I don't know if you saw this clip where she was on, and I couldn't believe this headline, Kirk Cameron's telev- talk show. Oh, so my. I'm like, oh, Kirk Cameron's talk show. Oh, that's- What a summit. Yeah, how did I miss that? <laughs> I, I know. I mean, I, I mean, I, I could make m- many a joke, but to but to keep the show moving, she <laughs> made a statement about um, we need t- to end abortion. It's like fine, you know, that's her view. And then and then she says because we need to fill this country with Christian babies because Christian babies bring light. And my Jewish ears, yeah, we're not feeling that. You got it. And, and when, when when Christian means white, you're doing Christianity wrong. I, listen, I, I, I will talk about this all day. When they began having illustrations and Bibles in the 1800s that could show Americans a blonde white Jesus, that kept slavery going another hundred years, as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I'll point out uh, the Bible and Jesus, not against abortion. Jesus against the death penalty. But that's something Republicans mm. won't talk about because they haven't actually read the Bible. Uh, you know what else Jesus wasn't against was transgender people. And mm-hmm. um, I think that in many ways, transgender rights are one of the big moral IQ tests of our time. And that's why I appreciate how you write in the nation how the GOP quietude is not because they're too busy with Supreme Court hearings. They're actually keeping a remarkably close eye on women's sports, just not on Brittany Griner. They're focused on swimmer Leah Thomas. Dave, for those who don't know, who is Leah Thomas and why are Republicans so focused on her? Well, Leah Thomas is a transgender woman who swims for the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, Leah Thomas won a meet, one meet. And then finished like way in the back for the other three or four races that she was involved in. And but the fact that Leah Thomas won this one meet and the fact that she's had success during the season has meant an absolute unholy uproar to the points of which in a dozen states now we have laws that prevent uh, transgender kids from playing sports. There are the 34 other laws that are being pushed forward right now. I mean, this is an incredible act of 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 just demonic division yeah. on behalf of the right wing in this country uh, to use the success of one transgender swimmer as a way to actually push laws that do things like criminalize parents who attempt to get gender affirming exactly. care for their kids. I mean, which would put um, members of my family uh, in, in a great deal of legal peril if that ever became law of the land. I mean, this this is scary stuff. And they're using Leah Thomas as a pretext for all of this. And there's so much to say about it. I mean, in terms of how, how the, and why the GOP and why white supremacists see like the crushing of trans rights as, as, as essential to their project. But what's also disturbing about this is that they've been able to pick off a lot of folks who I know, who I feel like should know a lot better and be better than this, who have picked up this mantle of, um, you know, and they say this is like a group of, of, of liberal uh, folks who, and I put liberal in big quotes, 
who say that, you know, well, we believe in trans rights. We just don't think that there should be trans people in sports because it's not fair because of biology. Uh, and there's a lot of arguments against biological essentialism that we could talk about. I think their arguments yeah. are are hooey top to bottom. Uh, but but the, the I mean, but 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 the bigger issue is that they're blocking with these very, very, very demonic forces in our politics and and not taking responsibility for the fact that sports is just a slippery slope towards all the other issues that we're talking about. So if you disagree with the GOP that trans people should not be in public spaces, but agree that, well, but sports is different, well, then guess what? You're actually blocking with the idea that trans people should be invisible and not be allowed in public spaces. I mean, it's yeah. unimaginably I mean, cruel. Every night we deal with people on this show who uh, believe in freedom and liberty and are furious that trans people are allowed to live as they choose in a society based on freedom and liberty. It, it, it's out there. And, uh, you know, Dave, I know that the NCAA does have guidelines for trans athletes. So, uh, you know, are you telling me that, that you know, uh, it, it's not trans women destroying women's sports all over the place? Because to me, what I hear in this is voter ID laws. There's no problem with voter impersonation in this country. You can count on two hands the number of voter impersonation cases that have happened so in the last similar. I mean, 26 cases out of a billion votes of voter impersonation. There is no problem with voter impersonation that would require voter ID laws. But they want to push the ID laws to be mean to marginalized peoples and to make it harder for them to exercise their rights. And I think it's the same playbook for how they're treating trans athletes because Dave, help me out on this. There is no widespread problem with trans girls or trans women destroying women's or girls' sports in this country at the moment, are there? No, it's simply not happening. I mean, the fact that we even are talking about Leah Thomas speaks to the singularity of it. I mean, first and foremost, it's this myth of the man going, basically putting on a dress, uh, playing sports, and dominating and it's going to destroy women's sports when that's just not the reality of what's happening you know the republican governor of utah uh spencer cox he vetoed a bill banning trans kids from playing sports he vetoed it and he vetoed it for two reasons um and honestly like i wrote in the article this felt like a drink of water in the desert you know just like, because he applied some basic logic. He said, I've researched the situation and the number of trans girls playing sports in the state of Utah is one. One. And, and they're, 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 and he said, so this legislation is, first of all, utterly unnecessary. And then he said, and secondly, um, I'm very concerned with, uh, with suicide rates among trans kids. And I don't see, what this does other than marginalize them further and when, when we should be embracing all of us. And, and it it was beautiful. It was very straightforward. It was logical. It was common damn sense. He vetoed it. And guess what? They overrode the veto. Of course, because the cruelty is the support. The cruelty is the point. Yeah. Yeah. And, and shitting on marginalized groups is how right-wing Christians do it. It's the opposite of the guy they claim to follow, who is all about 
uplifting the marginalized. In American right-wing evangelical Christianity, it's all about how much can you hurt the marginalized, whether they're refugees or trans mm. kids who want to use a bathroom they feel comfortable with, or the Christian refugees at our southern border. But, but Dave, I, I have to ask, you know, as you mentioned earlier, there's plenty of progressive folks, progressive-minded folks, who don't know how to approach this issue because they hear so much Fox News propaganda about it. And you'd think that, my God, our girls' locker rooms are overrun with hairy Russian men in tutus. Um, yeah. What do you say when you talk to a, a liberal person who says, hey, listen, I, I'm all for the trans rights. Great. But uh, sports, that's that's a bridge too far. You're born a biological male. You, you, it's, it's wrong of you to compete. I can see how they got to that point of thinking. Yeah. What do you say to them, Dave? Well, I mean, the first thing I say is that um, when someone is uh, transitioning, uh, there are certain guidelines they have to meet in terms of hormonal levels to play in the first place. So it's not a case of just of big hairy men putting on uh, a uniform and, and just being like, yeah, I consider myself a woman. You know, that's a, a gross distortion of, of what's actually happening in the very few cases that we can even look to as examples for this, yes. which is part of this yes. discussion too. It's like we don't have a ton of sample data on this because it makes the, the voter fraud issue you mentioned look like a, a, a mass event. You know, it's so, so, so that, that, that's one of the things I would say. It's like, it's like lear, learn what the actual guidelines are uh, and what, they, what needs to be adhered to. That's, that's right. the first thing. Um, the second thing is to say, like, you know, you, you can't have it both ways. Like, either trans people have the right to exist in these public spheres, or you think they don't. If you think you can carve out a space where you say trans people can't go here, but I still want them to have these other rights, I mean, it, it, that's just not the way politics works. Uh, that that's not the way the GOP works. That's not the way the right wing is going to work. Yeah. I mean, they're playing for keeps on this, and this is this is a which side are you on moment. I mean, you said it before about it being a litmus test uh, for people, um, and it's like this is a which side are you on moment. I mean, when you have this kind of legislation being pushed through uh, in state after state after state. Uh, with, with with very little in the way of opposition, it's like we, we need to be able to build uh, grassroots movements and grassroots consensus against this. And knowing the arguments is important, like you said, but also I think being clear with people that uh, that you can't be neutral on a moving train or you can't yeah. you know, believe that sports can somehow exist in a vacuum away from the rest of society. That's why I think you're the finest sports writer in America on that point, because the personal is political. It always is. Your Kaepernick book certainly showed that. Um, and you point out rightly that Governor Spencer Cox of Utah, who was so compassionate and so empathetic, is a Republican. And he spoke with more bravery and thoughtfulness than plenty of very nice Democrats I could name. Do you think that there are some Democrats who are just terrified this is a loser issue on Election Day and they don't even want to talk about trans rights till after Election Day because they feel like it's not going to help me get any votes. Why put my neck out there and make people think I want to have big Russian guys in tutus in girls' locker rooms? Yes and yes. Yeah. And did I mention yes? Yeah. But, you know, th this is what... <sighs> I mean, it, it starts with saying, well, I'm not going to defend transgender people. 
And then now you've got Republicans talking about interracial marriage, maybe even being on the chopping block. And then you've got Republicans, you know, they're going, (laughs) they're going after, uh, they're going after gay marriage. I mean, it's after Roe, that's next. I mean, they're telegraphing it with every step. I mean, at, at one point, a political party has to stand up and stand for something. You know, yeah. whether, and you know, and that's, I thought that's what politics is supposed to be. It's like, if you have a minority opinion, you fight for a majority opinion. You use all the tools at your disposal to try to actually have the argument and try to win it. And if you lose on election day, you actually figure out, you know, the data and figure out how to build on it. But yes. like once the problem, and it's not just a question of morals or principles, but once you start writing off groups of, of your constituency, of your coalition off, one of the effects of that is it demoralizes other groups in your coalition. Yeah. And before you know it, the voter turnout isn't what it's supposed to be. Yep. And you, you depress your own voter turnout because you're not a fighting party. It's all and connected. so people say, why should I fight too? Yeah. And again, I think smart Democrats would stand up and quote the Bible, quote the Constitution, talk about, you know, that we all have an equal access to justice and talk about a Bible that fights for the least of these, the most marginalized people. I want to just quote you one last time, Mr. Zyron. This paragraph has got all the empathy and the beauty of your gift of language. The GOP, it's the GOP that has decided to tear Thomas's identity apart while whistling past Griner's peril. We must fight for a different framework in both these cases and show Leah Thomas' support while raising Brittany Griner's name to the light. The GOP wants them both erased. That's not going to happen. No matter how many children DeSantis and friends want to stomp out in the name of bigotry, division, and political aspiration. I, I agree with you. They're going after Roe, and they're going after marriage equality. And those two things are both quite popular in our country. Getting rid of both of those things is not a popular position. These fascists, like all authoritarians, are doomed to fail in the long term. So let me close it out, Mr. Zyron, by asking you, what's giving you hope? What are you optimistic about? I mean, the the one thing I'm very optimistic about, and you got to have a long-term view to really wrap your head around this, but I just feel like this young generation is more demographically diverse and less tolerant of intolerance than any generation in the history of the United States. And I just don't think they're going to put up with what other generations were willing to put up with. If you think that people like (laughs) between the ages of 16 and 20 are going to put up with, with LGBTQ equality and marriage equality being off the books. I mean, did we see those high school students in Florida marching out and saying, I am gay? I'll say gay. I'll say gay. I mean, I have a friend. She's a, a lesbian in her 50s. Uh, she, she, she couldn't stop crying because she was remembering what it was like for her in high school. Mm. And then to see this high school with hundreds of kids saying, I'll say, I'll say gay. I mean, that's what gives me hope. That's me what too. gives me hope. Me too. And beautiful writing like yours, Dave. I thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Dave Zyron is the nation's sports editor. Please read his books, especially uh, the most recent and, and very beautiful, The Kaepernick Effect, Taking a Knee, Changing the World. You can follow all of Dave's work at edgeofsports.com or on Twitter. Follow him at edgeofsports. And it's great to see you on Zoom, Dave. I hope to see you in person very soon. Thank you for joining Absolutely. us. Absolutely. Great to see you, brother. 
Thank you. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.com. .edu/podcast Governor Ron DeSantis today signed into law the revoltingly unchristian and revoltingly un-American Florida Parental Rights and Education Bill dubbed by non-evil people as the don't say gay bill. Now, it, it, it this thing prohibits teachers from leading classroom discussions on gender identity or sexual orientation for kids uh, eight and younger, kindergarten through first grade, through third grade. Doesn't seem that we really needed this law, does it? Sort of like trans athletes and voter IDs. Is there really a problem with kids turning gay or turning trans because their teacher is instructing them? Uh, it, It bans lessons for older students unless they are age appropriate or developmentally appropriate. And there's where it gets dirty. DeSantis said in Florida, we not only know that parents have a right to be involved, we insist that parents have a right to be involved. DeSantis is betting really strong that when he runs for president, homophobia is going to be a safer ticket than anti-homophobia. Like it was, I don't know, back in 2004 when fears of gay marriage destroying traditional marriage were how George Bush coasted to re-election. Walt Disney Company issued a statement today vowing to help repeal the legislation. The statement reads, it never should have passed and should never have been signed into law. Disney said, our goal as a company is for this law to be repealed by the legislature or struck down in the courts. We remain committed to supporting the national and state organizations working to achieve that. We're dedicated to standing up for the rights and safety of LGBTQ members of the Disney family in Florida and across the country. Now, the proponents of the bill always say, look, it only applies to very young children, right? That's, that's, they, how can you monster liberals want to sexualize children? This is just to shield children ages four through eight from sex ed and from any acknowledgement of LGBTQ people or families. But when you actually look at it, when you actually look at this bill, the Don't Say Gay bill, a classroom instruction by school personnel or third parties on sexual orientation or gender identity may not occur in kindergarten through grade 8 or, stress the or, this is the actual text of the law, may not occur in kindergarten through grade eight, grade 3 or in a manner that is not age-appropriate or developmentally appropriate for students in accordance with state standards. Notice that. Or, 
separates two different groups of students, right? The first group is students in kindergarten through grade three. Second group is everyone else, which I guess is grades four to 12. Great piece in Salon on this, where they say to, you know, understand if a bill says no person shall consume alcohol who is under 21 or over 21, you know, that's what they're essentially doing. I'm going to read the language again. You cannot teach anyone about gender identity or kindergarten through grade three or in a manner that's not age-appropriate or developmentally appropriate for students in accordance with states, meaning whatever the fuck we want. Meaning we can go after teachers. We can go after school boards. We can go after principals. You can go after school districts. I mean, you look at how it's all about censorship. They claim it doesn't suppress free speech, but it does. The law requires school districts, districts, let me quote it again, to adopt procedures for a parent to notify the principal if they have concerns about LGBTQ instruction and to create a process for resolving those concerns within seven calendar days. If the concern is not resolved within 30 calendar days, school district must explain why. Parents can file complaints. Uh, if, if they're concerned that a school is teaching children not to hate gay people, not to be mean to gay people. But then the Florida Commissioner of Ed appoints a special magistrate to recommend a resolution, which the State Board of Ed must approve or reject. And the State Board of Ed is stacked with far right wing allies handpicked by Ron DeSantis. The most recent person nominated to Florida's State Board of Education is Esther Byrd, who supports QAnon, who has supported Proud Boys, and has publicly supported the terrorists that attacked our Capitol on January 6th. And then there's the aggrieved parents. And here's where it gets the nastiest, because I think what Florida's doing with this don't say gay law is copying the Texas abortion law playbook. Because parents can now sue the school district. If a court agrees that an instructor broke the law and said, don't hate gay people to an eight-year-old, of course, if you're a gay kid, you can still be treated horribly. Gay children are not protected in any way by this law. No, 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 not at all. Kids are old enough to experience homophobia, but they're too young to learn what it is. So here's the deal. Parents can sue the school district. This is why it's like the abortion law in Texas, like the abortion law in Missouri. Parents can, school the, 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 can sue the school district. And if a court agrees that a teacher broke the law, there could be damages, attorney's fees to the parents, which could go into thousands of dollars, which could go into teachers losing their jobs. They are copying Texas vigilantism, letting private citizens enforce oppressive laws through direct legal action. And this is the way they're going to do it. This is the way they're going after abortion. They know they can't win on putting people in jail. So they're going to let the nut jobs sue people. That's how they're going to handle it. The right-wing racist fringe of the GOP is going to become lawsuit happy. Look at the Idaho abortion bill. If a woman is raped under the new law in Idaho and terminates the pregnancy of her rapist, every member of the rapist family is allowed by law to sue the woman. The rapist parents, all the rapists, aunts, and uncles may, if they so choose, sue the rape victim for deciding she doesn't want to carry her rapist child to term. This is how they're doing it. 
They know their unpopular laws. They know they can't win on the morality. So they're going to try and backdoor it and more or less deputize every Yahoo into going ahead and suing people that they don't fucking like. This is how craven it's become. And Ron DeSantis is a bad dude. Oh,